truth, perspective, and growth. This is the Michael Carroll Discipleship Podcast. There's a lot of people in the seats. We did a great job. And hearing God saying, great, can you name them? Do you know how many of them got into heaven? And I, at that time, I wouldn't be able to say, yes, God, I know. I didn't, you know, I didn't know all their names. I didn't know if they're, if they're living a life for you that's obedient. You know, I could do my best on a Wednesday night, maybe through small groups, but I truly don't know. Hey guys, it's Michael, and today we had an incredible conversation with a leader who shared so much wisdom and so so much experience. I really believe God is going to bless you with it. Terry Parkman is a next-gen pastor at River Valley Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's a multi-site church with locations in the U.S. and across the world. He oversees uh, everything that goes from little kids to big students, and along with all those responsibilities, he also travels and speaks across the country, and he has a part in amazing organizations across the world that are doing Uh, incredible things. Terry had so much wisdom and experience that he shared with us today. So I know you're probably gonna have to listen to this episode a couple times over, but find some time to get yourself in a space, grab a notepad, because he's got some incredible things that he shared with us today. Well, today is going to be an amazing day. I have an incredible leader with me today. He's a uh, he's an amazing communicator, an amazing visionary. Uh, he's done youth ministry across the world, but not only that, he's an, he's just an incredible person. Loves his family, loves his wife, loves the local church. Terry Parkman is with us today, and Terry, I'm so excited to have you, man. How are you doing today, dude? I am so good. Uh, just honestly, sliding into a groove with this quarantine life. And uh, really finding the rhythms, you know, the rhythms that have been working for us and our family has been loving us time together. So it's been great. Dude, I I, I hear you, man. And uh, I think families across the world have been celebrating uh, as they should more time with each other. So I'm I'm glad that you guys had that time, uh, especially knowing a little bit about what we're talking about you. I know that you're you're very busy in ministry. Uh, you know, God is doing amazing things through you, through your church. So some of our audience may not know who you are. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing, uh, where you're at, what church you're at, all of that? Yeah, yeah. So I am the next-gen pastor at River Valley Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We're a multi-site church. we got about 10 campuses, and I oversee everything from cradle to career. So kids, youth, young adults, and our uh, emerging leader program, our internship program. And uh, my specialty, though, is youth uh, as I dial in on that. So I got my hands in that. Uh, I get to be uh, a next-gen co-chair with Empower 21. It's a global network of leaders, spiritual leaders from around the world. And I also get the opportunity to work with One Hope on endeavors like Feed. So uh, I get an opportunity to continue working with the next-gen in a multitude of ways. Yeah, that's incredible. And those are some amazing organizations doing an amazing things. We'll, we'll send some links in our in our show for people to connect with those ministries. And if you haven't heard of them, uh, uh, One Hope is an incredible organization uh, meeting needs across the world. Empower 21, bringing leadership from across the world together with the vision for God's kingdom to advance and uh, in River Valley, an amazing church uh, known across the world. And, and so uh, just su- such a blessing to have you here, taking some time with you. But I love what you said is that you have a passion um, for youth ministry. And it seems like that's where God has kind of just focused you. I want to talk a little bit about that because I know that's what makes your heart beat. How'd you yeah. get into youth ministry? Like, how did that happen? <clears throat> uh, what keeps you going? Because I've, I've been a youth pastor myself, and I know that 
uh, things look great on the on social media and on the outside, but when you're in the in the uh, in the rut and you're in the the hands and feet of dealing with students, it could be tough, dude. Right? I mean, it could be yeah. hard work. It should be at least if you're doing it right. So, how did how yeah. did you get into it? Uh, what keeps you passionate about it? Let's talk about that, man. Yeah, you know, uh, I became a believer uh, when I was a sophomore in high school. I had a friend invite me 23 times to church. Uh, I finally said yes to the 23rd invite because I was grounded and I didn't want to go home and it was my get out of jail free <laughs> card. So I, uh, I went to church and for two months, you know, the community there discipled me into Christ. You know, it wasn't something where I was looking, uh, it wasn't something where I was at a low spot. It was that Christ met me where I was at. And it was amazing to have the body of Christ disciple me into him. And shortly after, I just felt an urge, like, I'm like, I feel called to ministry. And because I was in youth ministry, I was like, oh, it's probably youth ministry. Like every kid in youth ministry who gets called is called to youth ministry for some time. Right. But I was actually called. And uh, and so after uh, co- uh, high school, getting into college, I just jumped right into youth ministry. And it's evolved over the years for sure. You know, I was doing youth ministry proper in Bismarck, North Dakota, day-to-day youth ministry. And I started to feel a shift in my heart. And so I was like, man, is this it? Is this the end of my time in youth ministry? And I didn't feel the release from the next generation. And River Valley had extended an invite to be their lead youth pastor. So I wouldn't be over any single youth ministry, but over the youth pastors Mm -hmm. uh, who were working with youth. And that was just a blessing because I could evolve my calling. Wow. I could take something that God's put in our heart because when God shifts you from one role to another, it doesn't mean that that calling's ever gone because the gifts sure. and the callings of God are without regret. Right. They're still in you. Right. They just take a different shape. Yeah. And the fact that I could allow it to take a different shape as I pour into the leaders of the next generation was such a blessing. And quickly after that, it just started to continue to grow. So what I'm, what I'm enraptured by, and that's, and that's the way to do it is, is Gen Z. How does this generation engage the gospel? What makes it so different from other generations? And how can we shift and change our youth ministries to better reach them? Mm. You know, I, I, I got this uh, uh, vision in my in my heart early on about standing before God, saying, God, I filled my youth ministries. There's a lot of people in the seats. We did a great job. And have, hearing God saying, great, can you name them? Wow. Do you know how many of them got into heaven? Wow. And I, at that time, I wouldn't be able to say, yes, God, I know I didn't, you know, I didn't know all their names. Yeah. I didn't know if they're, if they're living a life for you, that's obedient. You know, I could do my best on a Wednesday night, maybe through small groups, but I truly don't know. And that really started me on a journey to say, you know what? I want to make sure I know who's getting into heaven. Hmm. I want to make sure I know that they are known by name, if not by me, by another leader. Wow. And I will change my ministry and sacrifice the golden calves in order to make sure that this ministry could reach the next generation the way they're created to be reached. The wisdom that Terry is sharing with us right now is something that I believe that is important for this whole generation to hear. The fact that he was willing to admit that his perspective was wrong as ministry is something that is so healthy for all of us to self-evaluate. But the wisdom that came next to talk about preparing us to keep our hearts right in ministry is life-changing. And I hope you take an opportunity to hear what Terry says next. What happened in that shift? I mean, I'm sure you faced some stuff that you had to work through. Uh, uh, was it was it an easy shift to kind of to take that focus? What, were there some things you had to add to your life or take away? Yeah, totally. So as we were talking about changing the way we do ministry and everything, that was precipitated by me getting the opportunity to travel to a few different countries around the world. And as I started to do that, I started to see commonalities between students in America and leaders in America 
and students and leaders in other parts of the globe. And what I began to recognize is our world was quickly becoming a global generation that's all mm. accessing information through the same device. Yeah. And as they do that, it's rewiring our brains to look for information the same way wow. and to take in information the same way. And so now you have a neuro uh, neurologically wired global generation mm. that is similar in the way they take on information and they're sharing information across borders and boundaries. Um, it's true that what informs you forms you. Hmm. So what you're taking in, what you're allowing to inform you will form who you are. And yeah. when you have the world looking at the same screens, reading the same articles, watching the same videos, we're being formed into a global community. And I started to ask myself, hmm. how does this impact the way we reach students? Wow. And what it broke down to was our students aren't consumers anymore. They're publishers, hmm. meaning they don't end with consuming. Like that was always the end goal for previous generations, just to consume a product. But they start with consuming and then they publish. Case hmm. in point. You comment, you like, you mm. repost, you repo you retweet, you you show somebody a picture on your phone. Whatever you do with content, you have to not only consume it, but then do something with it. And mm. with the world being wired to do something with content, I asked myself, are youth ministries built for the consumer? And if they are, then we're discipling a generation that no longer sits in our seats. Wow. And with that in mind, you're seeing like you're seeing youth ministries, case in point, one in Japan, uh, the national leadership of a movement. In Japan, started, said Terry, 10 years ago, we had 30 teenagers on average in every church. And today we have 10. Or I'm sorry, not today. He said 10 years later, we have 0.7 teenagers in every church. And he said, it's not because they stopped believing in Jesus. It's because we weren't answering the questions that they were asking. It's because we were delivering ministry to consumers instead of reading who they were and changing it to reaching a generation of publishers. And these kids went and they jumped in other churches that were reaching them where they were. And we always have that conversation. What would happen? If the lights went out in youth groups, what would happen? And a lot of people blame secular society, but I don't, I don't, I don't buy that for one minute. We're, we're measuring people leaving our churches, but are we measuring where they're going? Maybe they're not leaving the church. Maybe they're leaving my church. That's so good. And so we have to get to a point to where we shift our ministry. And that the, the hard part to your, to your point, I want to give all that for context was number one, our ministry had to be less to do with the platform and more to do with the students and the leaders on the floor. And number two, I could no longer measure a good night by how good I preach. Oh, I measure a good night by how good the students are led on the floor. Wow. So when you have a good night, you're like, where do I fit into this? Our mm. job then is to cultivate atmosphere, spaces, and leaders to lead students better than we can from a platform. Mm. And so I had to um, spin this out to my lead pastor a few years ago. And I had been slowly like getting them, like practicing inception, getting them to drink the Kool-Aid on the next generation and stuff that's rolling out. And I went to him, I said, look, Pastor, uh, I think we can reach more students to get more into heaven, but I think our youth ministry is going to drink because we're going to start focusing on the core to the crowd rather than from the crowd to the core. And I said, we're going to reach publishers. And I said, and by doing that, we're going to shift our ministry that's more small groups driven on a Wednesday night than, um, than preaching dr driven from a platform all the time. And said, so I think students will, will leave at first, but then we'll grow. And to his credit, he said, do it. Hmm. And we shifted everything. And in the first four months, we grew by 200%. And it's because kids started saying, I have a place where I can talk now. And I wonder how many kids don't show up to our ministries, not because the ministries suck or not because they don't believe in Jesus, but they stop showing up because they don't have a place to express themselves. 
I love what Terry shared right here. And while he was sharing his heart about making this shift, I began to feel challenged in my heart. And maybe you feel this way too. And I want to think about what would happen if we were willing to open up our eyes and look at the things we're doing differently through the lens of the gospel, of course, but make shifts and changes if needed, not just to be different, not just to change, but to reach people with the power of the gospel right where they're at. And Terry's talking about a success in reaching people, not because he was doing something different, but because he saw people at a place that he could bring the gospel message down to them and not stay stuck in his tradition. And I think that's a challenge that we could all take and evaluate our lives, not just in church, but in the way we do life, the way we do our friendships, the way we raise our kids. I think we would all be better if we would humble ourselves and be willing to evaluate our own life and ask ourselves the tough questions of how we are being used by God to reach the world. Let's hop back into the conversation. I think this is this comes from a traditional mindset because I, I, I believe like you, Terry, that we're in the middle of a major shift, not only in culture, but in the church in general. And and uh, and many people who have spent their whole time, their mind is wired for one way of church. So it's hard for them. Yep to grasp and 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 we fought this this battle against secular uh invasion in our in in our in our communities to where we've put up walls of change. We don't want to change because we look at change as being the world coming in and changing the truth or the world coming in and taking away from the the purity of the gospel. And so we've we've this is who we are and that was in in good efforts to keep the world from leading us astray in some ways or whatever. So I, 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 like you, feel that we are at the shift, and I do believe that some of our isolation has opened up some eyes of some previous generations to some positive that can come from media and, and stuff like that. Um, but we are at we are at that this shift, and I always remember hearing, uh, and it always bothered me because I, I did youth ministry, but it was uh, at risk youth, so I, I had a complete. It wasn't a, we weren't in a church building, so I had a completely vision, different vision of what ministry looked like. But I used to always hear it and it bothered me that when, you know, people are leaving the church as if they're being apostate. And I, I think now more than ever, I hear people say, I believe in Jesus. I just don't want to be a part of the church. So it's not that they're rejecting God or that they don't even believe in God. It's they're rejecting the system that they've been a part of in the church. So dude, I love, totally. I love that you, what, what I love, not only that you said that, but I, I love that your senior pastor trusted you enough to release it and, and, and believe in what God has spoken to you. I think that's incredible, man. Yeah. And I think the key is, and I hear when, every time I unfold this, like I got this, what's my, I'm traveling and talking on more than anything now, but I hear people say, well, what if my pastor doesn't align with it? It's like, have you done him the honor of taking a full year to take on this information and absorb this information without any pressure of having to make a decision about your ministry? A lot of youth pastors say, I see this. It has to happen now. Pastor, get behind my vision. Mm. And that's unfair and it's unrealistic. And so if at that time, after a full year of really unfolding this information, my pastor, if he said, nah, Terry, I still want you to build normal youth ministry, grow it as big as you can and just do it, I would have done what he asked. And I would have found ways to be able to do youth ministry in unique ways within what he asked. And I would have been blessed because the Lord would have blessed the work of my hands because I honored my pastor. Mm. And so... We have to do the diligence of giving them the information without expecting get, make, expecting them to make a decision in the moment yeah. and then slowly start to unfold it. And so that's what we did. And uh, he had way more faith in our transition than I did. 
I thought we were going to drop off with students and everything else. I'm like, they're going to, you know, because that's what I would have done. I'm Gen X, man. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to be in a small group. The last small group I was in when I was when I was a kid, it smelled like soup and cats. Like it was like the worst thing ever. And it was awkward and I didn't want to talk to anybody. And today kids are different because they're already doing that on their screens. Totally. Yeah. So I have to we as leaders have to stop projecting our former contacts onto this generation. Mm. So much to talk about in that. That's so good, man. Okay, so yeah. all right. Well, let's let's be realistic then, because we have youth pastors listening right now and they're feeling everything yeah. you're saying right now, Terry. They're like, dude, he's speaking my language. But not every pastor is like your pastor. Not every pastor right. is willing to shift like you just said. So what would be some of your advice for some but some of our younger leaders who are feeling this tension of knowing they need to shift? But as you know, youth ministry does not drive the church. The pulpit drives the church. So so right. you know how what would be some advice to some younger leaders that you would say who are feeling that tension right now, but maybe they're not getting as yeah. fluid of results like you did? Um I'm going to say some uh, things that might be hard to hear for some pastors, for some younger pastors. Um, many times our, pa- our senior pastors don't allow us to jump in with a new endeavor, not because the vision isn't good and not because the idea is bad, but they don't allow us to do it because we don't have the maturity to carry the vision that God's given us. Mm. And the best thing you can do, youth pastor, young pastor, is to really allow yourself to grow, to be able to steward what God is giving you. Mm. And to be able to carry it well, maybe you have lost credibility with your pastor because the last three ideas, you never did diligence to steward them well. Wow. This is hard to hear, but I speak to my pastors, my pastors that I lead. These are the words I speak to them. Create that credibility with your pastor and that trust in order to see this happen. Now, now let me shift gears. Maybe you do have that credibility. Maybe you've been stacking wins nonstop and you're bringing this to your pastor and you have done the diligence to be able to say, you know what, uh, I've, t- I've unfolded this information over the course of a year. I've given them the opportunity to lean in, and they're still saying no. Honor that and do ministry the way your pastor's asking you to do that's ministry. Yeah, do it good. within that Wednesday context. But there are unique things that you can do in your service structure to reach a generation of publishers. Mm. No doubt about it. If my pastor would have said, no, just keep doing youth ministry the way you've done, the way you've done it, I would have said, okay, would you mind if we did one night a month where we do groups mm-hmm. and kick it to the leaders on the floor? And I preach less and more time with the students. Mm-hmm. See what negotiating room there would be and see what success and then measure that success and present it. Okay. And once you do that, I think that your pastor will see the answer there. But honestly, I was fully prepared for my pastor to say no and to tell me to keep doing ministry the same way. And I was fully prepared to do what he asked. Mm. 100%. I think the biggest thing, the biggest hindrance has less to do with the lead pastor and more to do with our inability to steward previous visions and dreams that God has given us. Sure. And our pastor has the insight. It's hard to hear and it's even harder to swallow. But I remember great ideas I had. And my pastor said no. And I look back and I'm like, so he had so much wisdom totally. uh, in those times when I was a younger pastor yeah. uh, to be able to say no so that he, I wouldn't crash and burn. Totally. You know, but so that I would grow where I was planted. So yeah. it's hard to hear, but the best thing you could do is to grow yourself and steward what you have well so you can gain the credibility for future endeavors. And giving your space yourself space to like you said, to uh to do things that you don't want to do and, and do it with the posture of honoring. You know, uh we one like, year one of your books that you uh you said you love is a tale of three kings, and I love 
that book. Incredible, yep. incredible wisdom in it. And one of the things that uh, I, I think I pulled from that book the most is um, David allowed to sit with, or God allowed David to sit with Saul so that he could remove the Saul from David. Yeah. And sometimes, without realizing it, we we pick out things in our leaders because those are things living in us. And without we, a doubt, and we want to say, "Man, well, he's doing this and he's doing this." Oh, look, or he's really doing this. And all we're really doing is identifying our own faults and traits that are wrong with us in other people. And sometimes they may be yeah. there. Sometimes they may not even be there. We're just reflecting ourselves out on other people. So, uh, do you, I mean? and I'm sure you've experienced this with some of your leadership, you know, sometimes uh, God allows us to walk through the tension of walking in things we don't want to do, having to uh, be honoring uh, to our leadership to work things out of our heart. Right. Right. You know, so many times, especially during the season right now of quarantine, there's a lot of people trying to bring significance that this season was never meant to give us. Mm. And we're trying to find the same significance we had when we were in a church building. And then when that's not happening, we feel this angst and everything. We start to project it on others. Mm-hmm. When in reality, maybe it's God just dealing with our hearts and we're not really willing to face it. Yeah. You know, um, so many times I've been upset at a situation. It has nothing to do with the situation or the people involved. It has everything to do with me. Mm-hmm. Blind spots are a real thing in ministry. Mm-hmm. And they can and leaning into your blind spots can ruin a pastor's credibility mm-hmm. and ruin our hearts to be able to receive more from God. And it's in seasons like that where I've allowed people to speak into my life and to point out those blind spots. And then I've submitted myself to the Lord so that he could root them out. That has set me up for success. You know, we talk to successful pastors every day and we say, man, what does it take to get there? What does it take? Submission and humility. You know, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. And so, yeah, I talk about these great grand ideas that I have and successful things that we've been able to launch but the wake of blind spots that are behind me that I've had to deal with in order to get there is everything. It's absolutely everything. I mean, what happens when you're presented with your blind spot and you choose not to look at it? Well, then mm. you choose to look at delusion mm. and you choose delusion over humility. Mm. And as a young leader and as a leader of the next generation, that's only going to distance us from our students sure. rather than endear us to our students. Sure. And so I want to do make a that I want to do the good work of really helping to identify blind spots in my life. So any vision that God gives me can immediately find traction mm-hmm. and not be hindered by myself. Like I tell my leaders this, you can't be full of God if you're full of yourself mm-hmm. and you have to empty yourself daily. You have to die daily. Like Paul says, in order to be full of God, in order to be full of the spirit, in order to run with the vision that he gives us. Yeah. That's so good, man. I, I, I echo your thought, bro, that, um, the majority of the majority of what I'm walking in right now, whether it's ministry, my personal life, my marriage, my friendships, whatever, um, the fruit that I'm experiencing is the result of dealing with myself and uh, and and sitting and getting on my knees and realizing that my problems that I'm experiencing in life, whether it involves people or not, are coming from my heart and like proverbs 4 says that's where the issues of our life come from anyways from within our hearts yeah. and so um dude so much good wisdom bro uh that's a, that's a, that's just uh so much gold to pull from we're gonna have to i'm almost gonna have to do some markers in the notes just so people can come back to that thanks for sharing that man so okay we got we got this foundation okay obviously we yeah. got your we have your heart for ministry now yeah 
there's a load that's on you right now. I know as you grow and advance in leadership, your your responsibility goes higher, uh, not only to your ministry, but to your 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 kids, your your wife, and everything in your life is a balance now. And I'm sure you've had to learn the principle of organizing your life too to sustain yourself with God, with your family, all of that. So yep. along the way, you've you've adapted principles, I'm sure. What are some of those principles that you live by? Some things that are your just your non-negotiables uh, uh, for how you operate in life. Yeah, uh, there's one key one. We're talking about taking on more balancing ministry, balancing family, all that other stuff. One key one is, and it's found in Ephesians, where it says God calls some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, preachers, teachers, right? And we read that and we use it like a spiritual strengths finder. We're like, what are you? Yo, I'm an apostle, but don't tell anybody. I'm a teacher, I'm a pastor, but I got a little bit of profit in me, you know? And we start to wear those things, but you got to read the rest of the passage. It says, we're called to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, preachers, teachers for what? The equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. That means my one job and as either one, any one of those things is to equip the church to do the ministry. That means I don't get my well-done, good, and faithful servant for doing ministry. I get it for dispensing ministry. Mm. And we and that freed me. Once I understood that up, man, that freed me up to really do more. Like there's vision that God gives us that we don't have time to look at because we're too busy doing than dispensing. Mm. And God challenged me when I was back in Bismarck, North Dakota, in my first youth ministry role. He said, Terry, I, every vision I give you from here on out, you have to do through the hands of your volunteers. Otherwise, I won't bless it. And there were a few times I tried to run it myself and it just ran into the dirt. And so I learned how to say, okay, God, this is a vision. Here's my leaders. They can't run with it. So how can I develop them better to run with the vision to see it take place? And the beauty of that is when I hand ministry, when I dispense ministry to my leaders, the way it's expressed might not look like Terry Parkman, but it looks like the body of Christ. And that's the way the Lord always intended it to look. What that has done is this helped me to create space to be able to run with new vision, to be able to work on the ministry so I don't have to work in the ministry. I can work on it and I got my leaders working in it. It's given me opportunity to bring balance to family and bring balance to my schedule. So that's a big principle I live by. I think we can grab a couple points from what Terry just said right now. The first point is this. Everyone in the church should be hearing this and reflecting on their own life and asking themselves the tough question. Are you operating in your gift? Are you seeking comfort from your leaders or are you seeking growth and being challenged? The second point is this. Many leaders complain about being overworked and burned out, but the sad reality is many leaders are experiencing this because they're not utilizing or equipping the people around them to carry some of the tasks and operate in their own giftings as well. And like Terry just said, the church is designed to operate as a unit, a community of people who have the Spirit of God moving through them as they operate in their own gift. There are no one-man shows in the kingdom, and I think we can all be challenged and reflect on our own lives based upon what Terry just shared with us. Let's hop right back into the so conversation. that's a big principle I live by. Yeah. Another one that is so important to me is walk on water like Peter, okay? One thing that Peter didn't have was a frame of reference when it came to walking on water. There was nobody had. People had been raised from the dead. Food had been multiplied. You know, miracles, waters had been parted, but nobody walked on the water. And what Peter had to be really good at doing was getting out of the boat, mm. you know? Jesus didn't ask him to know how to walk on water. He just asked him to get out of a boat. So many times as leaders, we want to know what it, like we, like Peter didn't know the ratio between human weight and water buoyancy. The dude just had to step out. And so many times we're like, I don't know, God, if that's going to fly. 
Look, he ain't asking you to make a fly. He's asking you to get out of a boat. I learned this when I was uh, uh, doing my very first event as a youth pastor. And it was our back to school bash, right? Everybody did a back to school bash at one time. And I, I had all the inflatables there, car smash, you name it, video games, all that junk. And I looked at my leaders. I'm like, guys, this is going to be the greatest night ever. Students are going to get saved. People are going to engage Christ. It's going to be awesome. I turned to my wife. I'm like, baby, nobody's showing up. Like, I don't know why we're doing this. It's going to fail. I turned back to my leaders. Guys, it's going to be amazing. And God's like, Terry, shut up. He's like, look, I didn't ask you to know how to walk on water to pull this off. I just asked you to get out of the boat, set it up. I'll take care of the rest. And man, there were school dances and sports games. They shut down school dances early because kids weren't showing up to those. They were showing up to this event. Mm -hmm. And I was so grateful for that. You know, and I learned in that day, like, man, I don't know how to do a lot of what I do in ministry, but I know how to get out of a boat really well. Mm -hmm. And so really understanding what it is to dispense ministry, to push leadership down to your volunteers so that they could run with it. And to learn how to get out of, out of a boat have been two key things for me in not only getting space to do what God's called me to do, but to also empower the body of Christ. That's good. So then that, you're, that you're makes me curious about something, because whenever you move into empowering people and trusting people, people fail, right? So um, Inevitably, yeah. So, so how do you deal with, uh, let's say specifically, because I know that a lot of our audience is leadership, uh, how do you deal with... Um, failures spiritually or maybe morally with your team is there like yeah. a principle that you have with that yeah spiritual moral failure is a different story like yeah. if yeah. i give them a chance to run a small an event and they just and it crashes that's not sure. the same so like what i want to make sure i separate here is um the difference between the two now if there's a moral or spiritual failure like there's ways back but you have to separate those individuals from the pack in order to bring restoration mm. you know and in order to not pollute the pond because there's nothing worse than somebody who fails morally or spiritually and still gets to stay in ministry. Mm. Then ministry becomes an entitlement to them and not an empowerment to them. Mm. And so I want to make sure to separate them from the pack. But when I'm talking about pushing ministry down to volunteers, if I say, all right, we're going to do this, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to do this event and you're going to run it. And this is what it's going to look like. Say it fails. Usually that's because of one of two reasons. Number one, I didn't develop them enough. And number two, I didn't clarify the route. Consider running a marathon. Right. I'm no, I'll never do that in my life ever. But consider it. Consider running a marathon and you're at the starting blocks and they're like, all right, when the gun goes off, you go. And everybody's like, where are we going? Because they weren't given the map. The route wasn't articulated. You're going to have the best efforts, the best runners, the best athletes running aimlessly. And that's what we do in ministry. It's not your leaders and volunteers that aren't the best. It's our lack of communication. And so what I've learned in those moments that I, number one, I have to develop them to carry it. Like, I, if they're not strong enough, I have to give them opportunity. And then second of all, I have to communicate the route very clearly. Third, I have to let go and I can't micromanage. Yeah, because the, the vision that God gives us is never supposed to look like one person. It's yeah. supposed to look like the body of Christ. And so I have to learn to celebrate it. If the outcome is achieved, even though it doesn't look like the way I would do it, I have to learn how to celebrate it and cheer them on. Instead of running alongside them and telling them that they need to run faster or slower, I need to be alongside them handing them a cup of water, helping to relieve them as they do that work. And when that happens, they cross the finish line together and we see great things happen. Dude, that's gold. Gold, man. I love that you said you have to let your hands go. You can't micromanage. And you're dealing with young leaders, right? So you have to give them space to grow. Specifically, if you're dealing with people who've never had leadership experience before 
or very yeah. minimal. You got to give yeah. him space to grow. And that's the disconnect. That's yeah. a major piece of the disconnect because pastors look for resumes and they don't want to put in the time to build resumes and people, you know? And so, yeah, and, uh, and you got to give them room to fail, fail yeah. and fail freely. Like, look, what they do, it's not the fail that matters. It's how they handle it. And if we can't cultivate emotional intelligence and emotional maturity, because that's a dark horse of any ministry. Mm. We've all worked for highly competent people that are monsters to be around. You don't mm. want to be around them because they're low emotional intelligence. They're immature mm. and they're horrible to be around. Mm. And we've also worked for mediocre people that aren't highly competent, but they're the best people to hang with. Mm -hmm. Those are the yeah. people that are trusted. Yeah. And if I can help a leader experience failure, and then know, hey, this is what it looks like. This doesn't determine your self-worth, your significance, anything else. You're still trusted. Good job. Let's do this again. If we can learn how to do that and help them to grow in emotional intelligence, we will have some of the best leaders and the most trusted leaders on our teams. And that's the most important piece. And also fail fast. Sometimes you can fail so fast that nobody even sees it happen. Mm. Fail fast enough that you get back up and you try the right thing. And some people don't even see it. They just see the right thing happening. And being being teaching leaders to do that, I think, is so vital. Yeah, dude, you are giving us so much gold today. I don't know. I, I, there's so much more to pull from you. I need to get you back for round two, man, because we're coming we're coming close to to our time. But I do not want to yeah. leave uh, without giving you this moment. I've been giving our guests this moment lately because we are in a time of isolation. We are in a time yep. where we're having time to evaluate ourselves, where uh, many of us pastors are evaluating our ministries. We're evaluating our families. We're evaluating all these things in our life. So I've wanted uh, leaders to be able to have uh, an opportunity and space to voice themselves. Um, so if you had the opportunity, uh, Terry, to speak to the entire global <clears throat> church, Okay, let's say the entire global church, which I'm sure would is definitely not the case right now on my show, but let's say it is, okay? The okay. entire church at one point, at one time, is hearing you for one to two minutes. What would you say to them? Don't miss what God is doing right now in this season. Don't miss it. Don't watch the news and forget to watch the word. Don't, don't spend time worrying about what's in front of your face when you can be fixing your eyes on what's unseen. You know, a scripture that the Lord gave to me at the beginning of this is found in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, and it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, guys, we're not in the tribulation right now, so calm down. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This quarantine, everything we're walking through, this pandemic is temporary. And there is something far more eternal that's happening here. Don't get it twisted. Look, you don't have a global pandemic without the devil's hand in it. And you don't have an outcome where God works out all things for the good of those that love him. You don't have a global pandemic happen without God creating something even greater underneath that's going to come out of this into a tidal wave of a movement of the spirit of a new way to do church in a way that's going to revive the church in new and unique ways. If we fix our eyes on what's seen, we don't catch that wave. But if we fix our eyes on the unseen, if we allow God to speak to us, to transform us during the season, then we come out of this time of quarantine into a brand new era, into a brand new era of spiritual awakening that we get a chance to be a part of and we get a chance to lead. Don't be so self-focused that you miss out on God in this season. Yeah. He's speaking to you. He's talking to you. New dreams are being birthed in your heart. 
and new opportunities and space to work on them are being created for you. When we come out of this, we get an opportunity to be those men and women that God has called and created us to be, to steward a new vision and a new movement of the spirit, or we get to lead this, this season the same person we were when we walked in. Don't miss out on God. Fix your eyes on what's unseen because he's saying something unique to you. Bro, I love that, man. Terry, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. We love you, bro. Praying for you, praying for your family, man. Uh, so honored that you would take time to be with us today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been such an honor. Bless you, man. Thank you for tuning in to the Michael Carroll Discipleship Podcast. Make sure to share this episode with your friends and also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at mcarrollnow. Have a great day. Until next time.